Fresh water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. God's going down. God's stepping up. That's what football's all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? Welcome back to the podcast. We're less than 20 days to kickoff versus Auburn, or what's left of their team. And we're about to start the third week of fall camp, and life is good. I'm Nick, your host, joined today by Ben and Cody, and we are the podcast. And before we dig into this week's show, wanted to welcome our new listeners and encourage you all to subscribe to the show. You can check us out on SoundCloud or on your smartphone's podcasting app. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us there so you don't miss a show. Fellas, uh, things are getting more exciting heading into the season here. I know I'm reading as much as I can from the likes of David Hood um, and others out there on the web. What have you guys been tracking in the world of college football? Well, obviously, guys, we have the big scandal out there. Uh, Brent Venables is apparently stealing signs. I mean, if Dabo had any ounce of moral fiber in his body, he'd let him go, right? I thought this was preposterous. I mean, first of all... Of course this is preposterous. You have signs for a reason. And if you're afraid somebody's stealing your signs, make better signs. Absolutely. This, ha- this happens a lot in baseball. You hear about it, and then they just switch it up, and it's not an issue. That's why you have signs. I mean, and, and really, he's not stealing your signs. You're just being outsmarted. Who, who reported this? Where did you? Uh, I believe this was on SI. So there's been a, a series of releases uh, from uh, ACC coaches, and it's anonymous. There's been several statements, and this is probably the one that you know, caught the most attention. There's been some others. About one ACC coach said that our offensive line doesn't really drive anybody back off the ball, um, and a few others. So, but well, th- this is the one that turned the most heads. And I mean, come on, man. Again, if you're worried about somebody stealing your signs, make your signs more complicated. Can we talk make about them the, better. The, the coaches pull and how sometimes coaches are just way off base. They, they live within their own, the four walls of their program. They don't know what's going on outside. This guy seems like he's way, way off base. Uh, in terms of like stealing signs, we're, and we're not talking about like the the Patriots scandal where it was like Spygate, yeah, yeah, you're not cameras in practice. Like this is so. Who guys? They said it was an anonymous ACC coach. Clearly, it's someone that we've played. You'd have to believe because they feel like their signals were stolen, uh, which leads me to believe it's probably someone in the Atlantic. Um, who do we? What, what What are you guys thinking in terms well, of somebody who, that was the snitch? Somebody that was Scott Schaefer. Could be Scott Schaefer. I'm going with uh, NC State's head head coach. I don't know. I feel like we've heard a lot from him lately about gripes of having to play in the Atlantic against the likes of the elite of the conference, Florida State, Clemson, and now Louisville. Um, I'm not would not be surprised if it was Dave Doran. Yeah, well, and he has a lot on the line this year. I think he's going to be fighting for his job. Uh, NC State has underperformed, um, so you know any excuse, I guess. Let me take it back really quick to Venables. If he does still signs, I, I don't see this as a bad thing at all. I'm impressed. I, I do see some, some you know, like we go all in on like a fourth and one, third and one, and, and guys will break it up, break it open for a long run. But if he's able in an actual game to pick out the call, uh, you know, put, in real time, and they say the calls are coming in late, but he's able, yeah, in real time, getting the getting the call in and, and potentially getting an advantage from that. I say kudos, great job, and you're earning your your paycheck. Well, well Mr. if Venables. you're flashing these big poster board sized cards with different sarcastic funny pictures on them what is Venable supposed to do close his eyes out of respect like no I mean if it's out there for you to figure out that information that's, that's right? the mental part of the game so don't come at me with that excuse stealing signs I mean it's the same 
thing. Like I, when when a guy's on second in baseball and the pitcher and the catcher get mad at him for trying to steal the sign, well, that's why you don't go with the first uh, call for a pitch that you throw down. There's a reason why you're mixing up your signs. Is because that's part of the game. That's the mental part of the game. It's a strategy to get whatever edge you can. There's no rules in the rule books that say you can't do that, right? I guess it's maybe an ethical dilemma, but I don't think anyone's uh, complaining about it. Again, if it was about ethics, then <laughs> they would just write out the play exactly what they wanted to call on a piece of poster board, and you'd expect the other coach to look the other way. It's not about that. I mean, come on, man. Make better signs. Uh, so elsewhere, I've been taking a look at, you know, in general, the thing that stuck out to me this week was news from Tallahassee, Florida State veteran quarterback, uh, I believe will be a senior this year, Sean McGuire appears to have come down with a stress fracture in his right foot. He's right-handed, so um, that's effectively you know his, his back foot when throwing. And so I think they say four weeks at this point uh, for that stress fracture. Foot injuries can linger, though. You look at what happened with like Kevin Durant in, in the NBA. It, he effectively lost an entire basketball season with a stress fracture. Uh, so we'll see if Sean McGuire is able to go at any point this season as their starter. I think what that means is DeAndre Francois will be named their starter for the Ole Miss game all the way through into ACC play. Guys, what, thoughts on this? Well, first, my question is, do you think uh, it being his right foot as opposed to his plant foot and his left foot, is that a bigger deal? Which is more important? I was just going to say, I don't. he was never really fleet of foot anyway. So, well, it's more throwing the ball, I think. Right, yeah. Um, well, anyways, uh, I think, well, it sets Francois up very well to take the starting role and keep it for the rest of the season. He would have to play pretty poorly, um, I think, for uh, him to lose the job to McGuire when McGuire comes back. Because by all accounts, it was, it's been pretty neck and neck. There hasn't been a decision made, right? No, I, I think Francois, there's no decision made. The way, I guess, maybe Brian Schusler, there's no decision made. But it's like Bryant's for the taking. I think it's Francois for the taking. And I'd rather not see McGuire. He still haunts my dreams from a couple years ago. I mean, for me, even if Francois, I mean, I think they were going into this camp neck and neck anyway for the starting role. I think what this does, though, is it can call into question some of their depth. So it gives them much lower margin of error going through a really tough stretch of their schedule. They play Ole Miss at a neutral site, then they have to travel to Louisville a couple weeks later. Uh, you know, for a first-year starter going into that environment, both two hostile environments, you know, it could be tricky. Now they've they've shown they can do that in the past with guys like James Winston. But yeah, but again, Francois is no James Winston. I'm not. I'm not rooting for injury by any means, but I think you're right when it when you talk about depth because he's a smaller guy. He will be running a lot more than McGuire ever did, so there's always going to be that risk of injury. And so that's that's one thing. And the second thing, like you said, McGuire comes back. I mean, by midseason, is he going to be ready? I mean, he's not that great of a quarterback in the first place. Well, they're only calling it a four-week injury, and we still have about three weeks, less a little bit less than three weeks to actually the first game of the season. So he could just miss a week. And he's a veteran guy. He's not a young guy coming in, so he's not going to have to take some time to really pick back up and, and get back up to speed with things. So I really think it's a matter of, and, and I think you're right, it's, it's more a depth issue if he continues to be injured throughout the season. Uh, and it's less a matter of, oh, did you just lose your starting quarterback? Because honestly, if it's still neck and neck, you got this young guy in Francois and a veteran in McGuire. Um, if McGuire is not pulling away, then even if Francois is a slight bit behind, it almost makes more sense to start him to get the experience if you think he has a higher upside. Yeah, and let me be clear. Francois is not behind. He's ahead. He's, he's very good. I'm not, he's not Jameis Winston, but he's good. 
and not a big not a big blow, but definitely big in the case of an injury. Something to watch for sure, and it's not really anything that we think will impact their team, you know, for the October 29th game. You know, that's a really long time. I expect both of those guys to be capable of playing against Clemson. I just think, you know, for that opening stretch of the season, could they pick up an L with an inexperienced quarterback? And I, I think it's less of their quarterback when it comes to us playing them um, at that point in the season. Their defense is going to be pretty stout, um, and it's really about at that point. And we'll talk a little bit about this later. But how is our defense doing? Do we have we built the depth throughout the season? Because again, it's good that we get them late, beginning of November. That gives some of the young guys that are coming in that we expect to contribute some time to get acclimated to the college game. Um, so I, I really, I do think it's less about their quarterback as it is uh, some other factors, at least as our game against them is concerned. Let me do one more FSU nugget while it's on our mind. Uh, ESPN did release their Heisman rankings. If you go back to our last episode, Ben, you were talking about the way that you thought it would shake out. Their top five is Deshaun Watson, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, Baker Mayfield, and Dalvin Cook. And Tully, we were talking over, I think, uh, you know, text or something, and you said, you think Dalvin Cook has a case to be the Heisman winner. And I, I have to agree with you, but let me hear your take on that. Before you do, he's the best running back that I saw last year while he was healthy. Yeah, I think it's on a per-play basis. Dalvin Cook's stats, and I, I don't have the stats in front of me you know, to reference, but his essentially his case was he did that without an elite quarterback. He did that with a young offensive line and with a hamstring injury plaguing him most of the year. And he, you know, had complete lights out games against, I think the second half against Louisville, I need to go back and look, but he might've had three touchdowns um, when they played Louisville last year, who effectively shut down our running game. So I feel like, I don't know, just, I'm not saying Dalvin Cook should have won the Heisman last year, but you can make the case statistically that he had the best year of all running backs. Well, and he broke that big play early on against us um, in our game against them last year. And was he? And he was injured at that point when we played him. I think he had some Lingering nagging injuries. Stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and he still broke that run. So, I mean, yeah, he's a dangerous, dangerous weapon for them, uh, and a legitimate Heisman contender. I think he's probably ranked a little lower. I don't like McCaffrey or Fournette as much as I like him. It's he's, close. He's a one-man show, and you mentioned, a, a, we'll say, a, a iffy offensive line last year. They had some bad decision-making, you know, whatever it was. Now they have more experience. It's going to be a better offensive line. Their quarterback's going to be a little bit more mobile. That's going to add another dimension to their offense. I hate to say it, but if he comes in healthy on October the 29th, I'm a little bit scared. Uh, between this season and last season, Outside of the game against Alabama, that Florida State game that we're going to play this year is going to be the second toughest, right behind the Alabama National Championship game. I can, say, I can make a case that it will be actually be the toughest game, but yeah, it's going to be super tough. Well, we'll have to see. I guess we'll have to I mean. This is kind of yeah. uh, foreshadowing. Uh, we'll have to see how things pans out, especially, I mean, again, the quarterback is such an uh, important position in college football, so whoever ends up playing does need to be somewhat competent, uh, but... It'll be interesting. They're, they're going to be a tough challenge. I guess, though, maybe, Cody, one, one point you might be trying to make here is, you know, we, we touched a little bit on in our, in our mailback show, what are the bets that we like for this year. Um, if you want to hedge a little bit as Clemson fans, we all believe Deshaun Watson's the front runner, but maybe you get nice odds on Dalvin Cook as, like, the sixth most likely Heisman Just, winner. yeah, keep it to yourself. Don't tell your other Clemson friends or don't go to the tailgate and, and brag about it, but, yeah. He's a good. He's a good option. If he can stay horse. healthy, and especially like you said, with an improved offensive line, 
Now, if they're restricted a little bit by not being able to pass the ball, that could hurt them if they become more one-dimensional, but I don't think that's going to happen. Florida State has some talented wide receivers, and, and one of these quarterbacks is going to work out. So, and, and this is a clear example of, of why so many people are saying that two, possibly two ACC teams could make it into the college football playoff is because these two teams, Clemson and Florida State, are so very talented. Um, recruiting uh, year in and year out has been very good for both teams. Um, you obviously you know what we did last year, and Florida State has a great pedigree. Jimbo Fisher's been doing a good job there. It's so really, having two Heisman finalists like could yeah, be exactly. all the committee needs to push and, teams into and, the. And playoff. it's amazing. This is the lowly ACC we're talking about, right? It's it's kind of amazing the two teams have emerged out of that, and I think a big part of that um, has been the overhype from the SEC. Um, may have helped actually Clemson and Florida State a little bit ascend to power. Yeah, I think the narrative's changing a bit. I, I think Clemson and FSU both are getting their due, and then the rest, the middle class, upper middle class of the ACC is is moving the right direction. Uh, let me say, you guys mentioned uh, Watson and Cook as Heisman finalists. Cook might not even be the best player on the team because Derwin James in their secondary is just a freak of nature. But and he's not going to win a Heisman. Yeah, but regardless, I'm just saying when you talk about Unfortunately, the talent that across award the field, has become an offensive award. Yeah, it's and always I'm not, been. That I'm way. not making the case for him as a high. It's a winner, running. Right? It's a running back. I'm, I'm making the case award. that he might be one of the best players in the nation and a very talented team for sure. Well, guys, let's switch gears and move move on to fall camp and pretty eventful week going on. Thankfully, no injury news of note really to report at this stage but uh, the team held a scrimmage I believe that was on Wednesday did you guys see any clips from that or have any takeaways from the notes from reporters uh, well I think the biggest thing that's really developed this week is the issue uh, regarding the uh, cornerback position opposite um, uh, Quadrea Tankersley and based on comments that came out from Dabo I believe it was yesterday and stuff that Venables has been saying I think all signs are pointing to Mullen end up starting uh, I, I don't think Fields, and it's been disappointing that Fields has stepped up and really assumed the position, but kind of the talk that they're still searching for somebody, I think the signs are starting to po point that Mullen's going to be the guy to start the season. I can't help but think the same. Uh, the guy's got a great work ethic. He's got, and you know, no, no disrespect to Fields because the guy is super athletic. He's He's similar to Mackenzie Alexander in terms of physical. He ran a four two eight forty earlier. I mean, to, to not be able to have that speed on the field, which is kind of curious as to why he's having all these pass interference calls uh, near the end of plays, if, if, he, if he is able to run that fast. so No, it's super, super great athlete. I think Mullen offers a little bit, at least more between the ears is what we're hearing. Uh, you know, he's, he's making the right decisions, and he's super, super competitive. He does not want to win. You know any matchup, regardless, regardless if it's Mike Williams, if it's Deion Kane. I have to agree with you though. I, but look, I think the guy, I think the coaches are really picking both on in, in the press and the way that they're attacking these offensive defensive scrimmages. I think they're going after. They're saying, "Hey, Mike. Hey, Deion. We're going to go after Mark, and we're going to go after Trayvon, and I guess whoever the next guy up would be. Help us find our starter. Make them better. Well, and that's yeah. kind of another we're part of my. Them. That's kind of another part of my take from this is. Is the poor cornerback play simply a result of them having to face the best uh, QB and the best wide receiving core in the country? I think so. I, I think the, their level of precision, attention to detail after what happened in the national championship game, and I'm not saying that was the sole cause of this, but knowing the excellence that is required to win at that high, high of a level against the elite competition, I think that's, I, I think 
they're like, yeah, we're going to pick pick apart these young defensive backs as much as we can. And I don't care if it's Mike Williams or Deion Kane. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're going to get as big of a dose of elite players as they can so, to get them ready. I mean, to be honest with you, I hope that Mark Fields actually wins the job. Like, I, I think we're... On merit. I think, yeah, on merit. I think we're a better team if ultimately he, he ends up winning it and Mullen slides in... Uh, to the backup spot, which I don't think he's going to drop any further than that, even when Edmund uh, and Baker come back from injury. Um, Edmonds, I just don't think, you know, he's a veteran guy. He hasn't taken over uh, that position. So at this point, I just don't think it's going to happen. And Baker, again, you know, we, we say he's going to come back this year from that ACL injury, but that's a tough thing to come back from. Is he going to be right? We've seen the example in Corn Wiggins. We're not sure. So. It, and the main reason is I, I'd really be concerned that if Mullen does win the job, that Fields, it, it really affects him psychologically and he doesn't keep his head in the game. Um, and he's not able to serve as that solid number two guy that we're going to need because we need more depth this year at that position. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even going into next year, we don't want to get that far ahead, but he's very important because he, he's just a sophomore, true sophomore. Dad was an NFL player. Again, you, like you said, he ran a four two forty earlier in camp. This is a very four two eight. Four two eight. Yeah, we'll round it up to four three. Still, <laughs> that's freakishly fast. Uh, the guy's tremendously talented. He's going to be a great player for us. I wanted to build his confidence up. I, I kind of would, like you said, I would like him to assume that role and not have it go to Mullen just yet, just for that for that reason. Well, especially to have a guy. I know you can't really call him a veteran because he is just a sophomore, but a guy with college experience, especially going into that first game against Auburn against Gus Malzahn's offense, because that can play head games with a true freshman. Yeah, and you. The good news is, like you said, you don't get a better test when you got Mike Williams. He's a he's an NFL player, and Deion Kane is just as well. Well, so. I guess I mean exactly. So they're going up against these guys in practice. Who even comes close on our schedule this year? Florida State's going to have good wide receivers. Um, Louisville may have serviceable wide receivers. I think it falls more on their quarterback there. Um, and then North Carolina, if we ultimately end up playing them in an ACC championship game, but outside of that, there's not a lot of meat there. Let's say too, if this were. I'm going to go back and say three years ago, and this was our cornerback situation three years ago, I think we would be we feel really good about the talent, about the the outlook of like Mark Fields, of a Trayvon Mullen, of, you know, obviously Tankersley. But it's not three years ago. We know what we know what Stakes our, like are higher, sticks. is that what you mean? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we know, again, we know what happens when you, you, you leave that piece of toilet paper on the bottom of your foot. Attention to detail. So let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you. All right, <laughs> I try not to do that, but maybe that's. I'm just saying that's my analogy. You got it. You got it. Attention to detail. Make sure there's not a piece of toilet paper on the bottom of your foot. Check your foot every time you use the bathroom. Um, so, let's talk about the opposite side of the field on on Tank's side. Ryan Carter is going to be backing him up. You know, Tank logged a lot of snaps last year, as as did Mac, and the backups did not play a lot uh, this year. We'd like to see them have to play less snaps and have a solid backup, especially if an injury happens. So if Tank goes down, what's our confidence that Ryan Carter, Carter can step in there and do a good enough job to keep us playing on the level we need to be at to, to make the playoff again? Well, you're going you're gonna to cross-train Mullen and Fields, and, and that's going to be the next guy up. I, I, I can't see Amir Trapp or whoever. That, I don't think Carter is – he's not a great fit for the cornerback position. He's actually a safety in a 5'8 body. He, he's, that is not his optimal position. So I, I think you look at Mullen and you hope that these guys can hold us over and maybe, just maybe, 
uh, Adrian Baker will return before we'll say like November. And, and I don't know, I hope, I'm guessing he's not going to take a medical redshirt. No, and he's going to, I mean, even if he comes back at the end of September, as they've talked about, he's going to need a few weeks of practice to really get out there and start cutting it loose. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's a best case scenario. So I, I would push it to October, maybe even November, November. But hey, you want to be a part of a playoff team? I'm sure he, I'm sure he would gladly, you know, burn the redshirt. And to have such an uh, and a guy that does have experience, he's played in this you know defense right. before and logged some significant snaps. So, can can we talk about a bright spot? I think cornerback. By the way, it's not as bad as it as it may seem. I think the coaches are they're doing it publicly and they're doing it in practice because they want to get as much out of Mullen and particularly Fields as they can. I don't think it's quite as bad as it may seem. But you got it. You you can't have you can't have Calvin Ridley going up against Mark Fields and Mark Fields not knowing what's going on and Ridley you know burn you like three or four times. So the safety position, though, that's where we're seeing a lot of good marks from not just the, the, the two starters, but also developing some, some depth in the, in the two deep. With Muse and uh, Denzel Johnson. Right, and I think, I think we worried about the secondary almost as much as the cornerback position, but the, at least the, the vibe that I get from the coaches is that it's, that's not the issue at all. Venables, I think he's an open book in his interviews. I think you can tell a lot when he's pissed, when he's, when he's happy. I think he's very pleased with knowing that he's got the chess pieces. Some of them are a little bit of a question mark, but he's got the, the tools at his disposal, and I feel like he's got that in, in the secondary. At least Van Smith, Jadar Johnson, of course, and, and then Muse, and like you said, uh, Johnson. Oh, I, I mean, I totally agree. I think we're not going to see much of a drop-off, if any, uh, this year um, with uh, Van Smith and Jadar Johnson. Like, I'm really excited to see uh, Jadar play. Uh, he's not—he's not a quick guy. We're going to lose some speed with him uh, versus Curse, but he's going to be in the right place. He has that mental aspect of the game down pat, and that's saying a lot considering we're taking a fourth round and a seventh round that should have been a second S- second round. Oh, TJ Green was second, right? Uh, and then with uh, Jaron Curse, what? was a seventh round pick he should have been in the second round had he kind of played through the end of the season he's showing out of vikings camp from everything that we're hearing so he definitely should have been drafted higher so to take two second round level guys off the team be able to replace them like that and hear all the good things and know that there's not a lot of concern there that's really good to hear and especially with the weight that van smith put on that makes you feel more confident that he's going to be able to help up and uh, stop in the uh, stop in the run game right and i don't want to discount i've, I've been probably one of the biggest critics of green and curse and i guess their lack of instincts being out of place mainly green they were tremendous uh you're talking about two very very physical safeties and the things that venables could do with them have them play a little bit downhill have them move up into the into the nickel all all the ways he could use them and you're just not gonna be able to do that with with van smith and and jadar johnson but I still think, like you said, it could potentially still be a net positive because you're hopefully not going to see as many busts. Uh, you're you're going to get, I guess, better. Uh, you're, you're st- we'll say you'll, you'll still get some of that linebacker at the safety with the added weight and overall performance. I don't know. I, I like I like that there's a few guys ready to go. You know, laying in the wings. Though. And I, I think people had, uh, especially in that Miami game, they probably had a lot more reason to get really excited about Van Smith. Uh, than uh, Jadar Johnson, but I, th- I think he's going to have really a, a huge breakout year, and he's going to turn a lot of heads with his play on the field. Could he be the next, you know, surprise third, second round draft pick? He could be. I, I think so. And he he thinks that he should have had more snaps last year, and I think he probably should have too. I think he was ready for them. Um, 
but we'll see. And just because he's not six five and he doesn't run a you know four four forty or four three forty, he's he's an athlete. He's not like Robert Smith where he's undersized and lacks athleticism. The guy's he's got some talent. He's got and he's to, got really good ball skills. I think much better than Green or Curse. And to put the cerebral aspect of it together with those other traits, yeah, he may not be a freak of an athlete like J. Ron Curse was, but right. you know, in his own in his own way. He's going to be a very, very good component of this defense, very valuable component of this defense. Maybe one more point, and I know we want to move on. So Muse was looked at as some kind of hybrid linebacker safety, and, and Johnson was looked at as, is he going to play offense? Is he going to play defense? Uh, should we have taken him at all as a you know, high three-star receiver? Well, I think it's good news, and it goes to a little bit to player development, quality evaluations, player evaluations, which I think our staff's gotten a lot better at. And picking hand picking both of these guys, and to see them in their only their second year, and they're only freshmen, they're redshirt freshmen, to see them actually looking like they're they're ready to go. And in, in the case that they get thrown in there, I think that's a huge, huge just positives all around. And the coaches them. have confidence in them, and that's that's a big thing. And you know, again, we'll talk about the depth on the defense, but a lot of it isn't coming down to anymore whether these guys are physically able and ready to play it's about whether the coaches have confidence in them that they can be disciplined in the scheme that they're calling especially Venables will be getting the calls in late (laughs) right Venables says he's got confidence he he is not blowing smoke he has confidence in these guys no he tells it like it is guys what what about on the offensive side another comment coming out of the Wednesday scrimmage was the role that the backup quarterbacks played and it seems that neither Nick Schusler nor Kelly Bryant have wrestled the job away from one another who do you see as having a better camp to date and who do you think will ultimately be number two on our depth chart I'm concerned that Kelly Bryant is not throwing more in these scrimmages I think Schusler had something like uh, 12 passes 12 to 16 passes something like that in the scrimmage and Bryant although he went four or five I believe he only had five he only threw the ball five times, and if that's the biggest part of his game that you're trying to develop and get better, because we know he's mobile, we know he can run and break big plays, he needs to uh, hone those passing skills. But if you're only letting it loose five times, it's kind of curious to me. Well, Dabo did say that he likes that Bryant's kind of hitting his stride, figuring out who he is as a player, and who he is is a run-first dual-threat quarterback. And I think we would all like to see more pass-first, a good balance, but hopefully a little bit more pass first and he's just simply not that guy but when you've got all those wide receivers out there mike williams <laughs> Davis, scott Hunter, Benfro, deon kane like like you you need to use those weapons you can't just have those guys out there blocking for you to run i, I totally agree i just think for him it's still probably a little bit of immaturity picking up feeling comfortable as a pocket passer i don't think he's used to that and he's still getting look at taj boy it took him Till his third year in the program, for he was ready, and he you know he had his he had a learning curve there. So I think for him, it's it's getting comfortable doing what you do well. And let's keep in mind, we compare him to Cam Newton, and he's not Cam Newton, but Cam Newton when he was at Auburn, he was very much in when that's in terms of that dual threat, hurry up, no huddle offense. He was very much a run first guy, and he was dominant, absolutely dominant. Well, you mentioned championship. You mentioned it, Todd Boyd, uh, but the difference here is is that. Taj didn't have uh, the talented guys nipping on his heels like Bryant's going to have with guys coming in next year and possibly the year after that. So I, I just, I mean, yeah, I would just like to see him. I just don't understand why he's not throwing the ball more in the scrimmages. I would like to see some more passing from him. Maybe the coaches are still trying to keep stuff under wraps. I don't know. 
But it would be interested to see if he was let loose more to throw the ball, what the result would be. But you have to tr- trust the coaches in these situations. I think you, you ask about who's coming out on top, Tully. I think it's it's going to be situational type. Absolutely. Who, who we're playing, how we match up against them, whether it, whether it would be Brian. Are we playing with the lead or not? And if you've got to throw the ball to try to come back, probably Schuessler, right? Right. And I think I think like you would use them throughout the game, kind of mixing them in from from play to play or from possession to possession. And I, I hate that idea. I w- I'd want one guy to assume the role as the number two guy, no, but, but I, I don't I, think that's the case. I think you're right. I think there's a, there would be some sort of scheme set up for that to be able to use both of their talents because, listen, let's not gloss over the good things that Schusler has been doing because he's been very accurate. He was accurate in spring game. He's been accurate here in uh, fall practice. And this is a guy who's been in the system for, for years. You know, he's had that time to mentally develop and athletically he's gotten better so let's let's not dismiss him can we pause and talk about nick schusler quickly in another era where would you guys stack him up maybe a good comp would be colin harper i think he could potentially be as good as colin harper was maybe not quite i think colin harper was really really accurate a lot of poise in the pocket yeah never really maybe a little bit much will proctor maybe (laughs) will proctor was horrible <laughs> i'm just kidding you're a great player but well maybe let me ask the question a different way do you think schusler is a starter 10 years ago 12 years ago we've had some good luck with quarterbacks dating back to like whitehurst and who were the guy who was the guy when you were in college well Tell woody dantzler and willie simmons were well he's no woody dantzler uh <laughs> we know that uh, willie simmons had a lot of promise uh but then he struggled when he uh started his sophomore year i believe in that Open the door for Charlie Whitehurst. I believe it was in the Duke game to come in um, and have a really good game and assume that job. So that ultimately ended up working out well. But we kind of digress on that point. So, so Schuessler, I think he, to have him as probably our third string quarterback is a good sign of where we're at with the quarterback position. We'll see what happens with Derek Cooper. He could be pushed further down the depth chart. Maybe a better question would be, or no, maybe another question would be. And in, in our scheme with the, the other weapons that we have around, with, the, with the, the best offensive line that we've had in 10 years, do you want a pass-first quarterback in this offense, or do you want a, a, a pass-first quarterback in this offense, or a run-first quarterback I in this offense? I want a pass-first. I, I want to get it to those playmakers, man. I mean, again, I be, best wide receiver core in the country. you got to get them the ball. You just need a guy back there to manage the game at that point, especially if our defense is stepping up and playing well. That's been Alabama's pedigree. They haven't had world-beater quarterbacks back there i think what you want is a run capable quarterback who can make a, a good enough amount of his throws because i think the quality of the o-line can build can buy an otherwise shakier quarterback more time they can make a worse off quarterback look better i guess is my point but having the capacity to evade escape or if a play does break down or you do face a dominant d-line who can get through you know, our great O-line, you want someone that can make moves and make plays with their legs. So that's kind of a non-answer there, but I feel like you don't need the most accurate passer in the world when Mike Williams can go up and snag the ball. Let's put it this way. I feel, I would feel decently confident with Schusler or Bryant in there against every game we play this season, except for Florida State and possibly Louisville. Everything else is winnable just by the, the other talent we have Agreed, alone. yeah, and you're right. Maybe we should fully consider the fact that Bryant could probably lead us through the ACC schedule for all teams not named FSU and Louisville. I agree with you, though, Tully. I think to have the ultimate upside, and, and the, the team as currently constructed, 
you need an offense that can put up points and you need the defense could be great could be good could be above average but you do need an offense that can put up points it could at the very I, least stay on the field to give the defense a rest right and i i mean i think and that's why scrambling for three yards at the right moment you know i don't know that schuessler is gonna be able to do that he's actually very fleet of foot um he's not a kelly bryant though yeah i so i, I agree i think you have to just roll the dice in my opinion with kelly bryant from from the, the onset and hope that he develops into something more than what he is right now. Well, clearly the coaches are going to have a plan. The coaching staff is going to have a plan um, if anything does happen. And hey, let's – how about this? Deshaun Watson, just don't get hurt. We don't have to worry about it. <laughs> 218, baby. He's, he's, looking, he's looking good. Uh, he's eating his Wheaties. Guys, uh, I think, you know, definitely good good thoughts coming out of fall camp. And we'll, we'll stay tuned here as they wrap up in the next – 10 days or so. Um, but I wanted to switch gears and talk about what we'll consider to be our main topic for the week. Uh, and that is talk, like sort of comparing or talking about 2016. So all along we've heard from the media, potentially even some coaches that like circling 2016 on calendars as probably Clemson's best shot at winning a national championship. This is even said, you know, coming out of the Taj Boyd era. And we all know, you know, maybe under those criteria that 2015 might even have been an overachieving year it was definitely a great year but I think we would all agree that there were some flaws to that team we saw that manifest itself in lesser teams staying into games late um, and potentially even some of our flaws being exposed and leading to the loss against Alabama so I think what we want to do with the rest of the show here is examine what were some of the root causes for the flaws that we saw in last year's team and understand, do we expect those to rear their head again this year? Or what are the ways that we think this team, either through personnel, through coaching, or just experience, um, everyone across the board might be able to get better? Well, I, I think for me, you know, last year was equally lucky and amazing how much lack of depth we had on defense and how we were able to go toe-to-toe uh, go 15 and 0, go toe to toe with Alabama in the national championship game, and come so very close. You know, just a couple key plays that really didn't have a lot to do with 14 defense. and 1. Actually, yeah. sorry, 14 and 1. Sorry, 14 and 0, and then go 14 and 1, losing that last game. Um, just to have that such a lack of depth on the defensive side of the ball and be able to do that, it, it amazed me. Um, and I think but it's maybe we, not. It's maybe not the way to do it. Like, no, and, and I don't think it necessarily works again this year, and I think that's the, the main thing we need to correct because when you take a look at a lot of the other weaknesses we did have last year and cost us that game, special teams being one of them, the lack of depth on defense and just the amount of time the starters had to play was a big part of that. Listen, if we're going to be playing in that ACC championship game and then making it to the national championship, that's two extra games that we're playing a year. That means guys are playing closer to 900 snaps uh, as opposed to 700 that they have normally been used to. This is a much longer season for these players. So you need to spell guys like your uh, guys on the D-line, across the D-line and your linebackers, just so they're fresh, uh, not only at the end of the games, but at the end of the season. So I took a look. I wanted to make a comparison to our um, our 2014 defense, which was ranked number one in the country, and, and kind of see how much those guys played because we did have more depth that year. So I want to start real quick with the interior D-line, the defensive tackles, uh, because last year they took uh, kind of the lowest percentage snap total on the team at 55% of the snaps. 2014, it was 54%, so that's a wash. So 
Um, that's the standard they met that. The defensive ends last year played 77% of the snaps. That's up from 58% in 2014. Linebackers, an amazing 86% as opposed to 68 in 2014. Um, and, and those are the two groups, I think, along the defensive line and the linebackers that I think need to take less reps. Cornerbacks and safeties, I'm not as much worried about. The cornerbacks played 72% last year and sa uh, safeties 82%. That's about in line with what they did in 2014. Uh, but I think as it really comes back to the defensive line, again, we have enough talent across the interior D-line, but defensive ends and linebackers, they need to play much less than they did last year, the starters at least. Absolutely agree. You look at Venable's scheme, and who if you're not a physical guy who's going to just lay the wood like a Ben Bower, you're not going to play. So naturally, guys like Bower and Goodson are, man, putting their bodies, like they are putting a lot on their bodies. They're, they're, it's a very physical schedule. You, you, when you start adding these games like a playoff, like an ACC championship game, it, it takes a major toll. And I, I think it was really good that we got to rest you know, before the Orange Bowl, but the, it, it, it impacted our defense to the, to the extent we almost lost in the ACC championship game to a team I don't think was anywhere close to as good as us. Yeah, I don't think so either. But uh, you, you're totally right. The linebacker, what was that number? Was it 80%? Uh, they played 86% of the snaps between Bulwer, Goodson, and Blanks last year. 86%. Uh, and, and again, that's up from 68 in 2014, they just got to play a lot less. I mean, Bullware, we got lucky with his injury. He was able to play through. But for Goodson and Blanks not to really take a hit, because there was nobody ready lined up behind them to go. I mean, outside of Jalen Williams, uh, it, it was him and the, J uh, the Davis twins that got snaps. And Kendall you know, Joseph. To put a finer point on this as well, when you talk about them taking 86% of snaps, when we think of weaknesses of the team last year, I think where you can see depth manifest itself as an issue is in things like breaking big, other teams breaking big plays or what we saw with the tight end from Alabama. And that's the fatigue part of it, right? And that tight end from Alabama was a monster. So I think starting with the linebacker position, now we're set up well with Trey Lamar and Shaq Smith coming in this year. And there's even chatter about uh, Jamie Skalski possibly getting some playing time because they love um, his instinct, and they're they're calling him essentially a more athletic Ben Bulware. I hope they more tell Ben and a longer. And I hope they tell him that so Ben Bulware gets pissed off and plays better. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it safe to? I know we've been talking a lot about the defense on this show, and last week looking at looking at the freshmen. Is it safe to say potentially the the ceiling or the the up like the upper crust of this defense maybe took a step back this year? You know, we graduated or sent guys to the league. But the, the top-to-bottom talent and well, the depth that has improved. I, the proven talent. But I think that remains to be seen because I honestly think that Kendall Joseph can step in this year and have a better year than Goodson did last year. He's undersized at, at about six foot 230, but he packs one hell of a punch. Goodson um, had a good year. So, I mean, he, I think he did. my— But, but yeah. again, Joseph was penned, penciled in to start ahead of him and have had two, two really good mm -hmm. springs. But if you're talking about Shaq Lawson— Kevin Dodd, and then, of course, Mac Alexander. Mac Alexander and mm -hmm. Kirsten Green. Yeah, I can't see the top-end talent being as good. I don't necessarily know if there's an All-American on this defense. Actually, I take that back. There could be a couple of All-Americans, but not the same necessarily first-round draft kind of status, guys. But all, all from top to bottom, what they say, like from 1 to 15, or, or you know, the next three guys up, the next five guys after that, I have to say it's a better all-round defense. 
And I sure. think so, and I think that's going to man- manifest itself in the in the amount of death we have and splitting up as, of some of those snap counts. I mean, let's look at the defensive ends. Okay, we've been spoiled. You know, you had Vic Beasley, but he didn't play a lot the year before. Him, him and Shaq almost went 50-50 in 2014, actually. A lot of people don't realize that, but yeah. Well, even Shaq Lawson, he only had... I had a number. It was like 260-something. So we didn't get a ton of snaps in that year. In 2014? Yeah. So maybe it was 400, 200, something like that. Uh, yeah, well, it was close because the defensive ends did play uh, a, a lot less. Um, again, only 58% from the, from the two starters that year. They spread it around more. Um, I think one of the areas, too, that potentially last year's team translating to this year, like one of the maybe weaknesses of this, this year's team could be – could show itself in penalties per game and understanding is a younger team that's kind of finding its footing together as a crew less proven you know fewer reps coming in that's a good point it was a very disciplined team last year penalties were not an issue now you may sacrifice some of that by putting some younger guys in who are just overall more talented and have a higher ceiling um but at what point is it worth it i mean again like we talked about sean mcguire and francois you have two guys that are neck and neck one being a true freshman that has an higher upside and one guy being a veteran who's been in the system for three years and that veteran is just barely ahead at what point do you throw the younger guy in there and just be like get him up to speed early get his feet under him and we'll be better in the long run for venables this is something new too it's a tactic Dabo's always used he's always had a lot of foresight he wants to get young guys in so he can Go to go to recruits that are seniors in high school and say, "Look, we play young guys, even when we do have a loaded depth chart." Venables has never been like that. He would, if he had it his way, he'd probably play twelve or thirteen guys the whole game all season. But it's it's a new kind of thinking for Venables. I agree, and it's something I haven't even fully thought about in terms of the penalties. Very disciplined squad last year. I'd, I'd have to see. I have to think a guy like moving Jurgen and Bryant and all these guys in on the defensive line, like probably going to be a few offsides penalties. And I'm thinking more potentially in the secondary too, um, with interference calls and well more let's hope not targeting there um can we go back to the defensive ends real quick because yes we may see a drop off and there was chatter of uh, christian wilkins uh, cross training there and possibly playing having some playing time there this year but the the de's have really showed out in camp this fall and i think the coaching staff has a huge amount of confidence in the guys we have in there and brian and farrell um, and then the backups, and you're going to re- register, not to mention Xavier Kelly coming in and putting on a pretty good show. I think we're pretty set at DE. I mean, uh, Cleveland Farrell is going to be a monster from everything we hear. He's got the he's got the makings of the next you know, kind of first step uh, guy that can get after the passer. He's got the same on the weak side there. He's got the same stature as uh, Jadavian Clowney. I'm not now. I'm not. <laughs> he's got the same link. He doesn't like, have listen, the same stature. Uh, same height and weight too. I mean, I'm not. Listen, I'm not saying he's going to be the same player as Jadavian Clowney. He's <laughs> not going to have the same pinky abrasion injuries that keep him out of the game. <laughs> but again, he's he's not going to be that talent. Clowney was very good, but he's he's going to be a good D for us this year, and I think he's going to turn a lot of heads as well. I, I, I totally agree. I think between him, Bryant, we have a very good combination. I. I just because they're both sophomores and you add in uh, Jurgen, this will be his first year getting real meaningful playing time. I, I just can't see it being as good as last year. It's not to say it won't be a great defensive line because the interior well, of that line is – it's got to be a top five unit, if not a top but, three unit. But wouldn't you say the, the, the reason those DEs aren't going to be as good as we had last year is not because of how good Shaq Lawson was. It was because of the emergency uh, emergence of Kevin Dodd, that that was unexpected. 
maybe restate the question there? I think maybe what Ben is asking to rephrase it would be, are we going to miss the strong side production from Kevin Dodd more More. than the weak side production of Shaq, knowing the talent that we have coming in? Is Bryant more likely to reproduce Dodd's stats and Farrell more likely to produce Shaq's? I think they're both, even though we, we kind of give all the credit to, to Bryant because he came in and he, he, we actually got to see him last year and he looked really good in the Orange Bowl. He did not look like a freshman. We tend to think that he's the next guy, but I, I think both him and Farrell are, are really good, very talented. I even think Farrell looked like kind of the, the guy that was had the more upside going into fall camp last year, unfortunately broke his pinky or broke one of his fingers. So... I, I don't know. It's hard to say. We had we had a great pair of ends last year. Uh, I will say well, that... We can dig in on this further when we look at that position group. Yeah. Them, um, with the calibration. I want to take us back to sort of the perceived weaknesses here. And when we talked about last year, or when we, you know, at the end of the year, when we look back and, you know, take, take points away from this defense, I think beyond the effects of depth, I also think that tackling was something that maybe was better than in other years but something that costs us in, in certain moments. And I just think back to North Carolina game, uh, potentially even South Carolina game, like very sloppy tackling, let teams extend drives or make bigger plays. Um, and just the concept of a, of a big play is something that last year's team was prone to allowing. Well, and I think that uh, speaks large volumes, again, to the fact that there was a lack of depth and the guys just had to play so many snaps. The starters did. They just weren't as fresh. It really manifested itself later in the season. When you go back to 2014, we, I mean, the, the way those guys were form tackling was something that we hadn't seen at Clemson in a long time, and it was very, very refreshing to see that. It did take a step back this year, but again, those starters played a lot more. Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement with Ben, I think. And I hate to say it, I don't think fans fully understand the physical toll, especially in Venable's scheme where it's all about plugging your gaps, taking someone out, taking the lead block out if necessary, how much that really impacts your body. So I know not to go back to quality depth, but I think that's really going to offset a lot of these bad, the poor tackling because Ben Boulware is a darn good tackler, but when he's got a hurt shoulder and his, you know, he might have a concussion, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably, he probably has a hard time wrapping up sometimes. Right. Yeah, I think the latter, or one of the last points here, and which would be almost impossible for us to project, is just instincts on pursuit. And that probably rears itself the most in our secondary. So Alabama's tight end, like, do we actually feel like if you plugged in who we expect to be in this year's secondary? You know, are those guys going to, would they have been able to stop that attack? And I think we won't know until we see some of these guys suit up and actually get playing time in a real live action. I think you're going to see a guy like uh, Jadar Johnson playing with a chip on his shoulder this year and Van Smith, just the, the talent potential that is there. It, it, it's not going to be good at the, as good at the beginning, maybe, as the combo of Curse and Green was last year because they started off really well. Uh, but I think ultimately over the long haul of the season, especially with the fact that they do have backups that can step in and spell them uh, more than what the guys last year had, I don't think it's be as much of an issue. I think you're going to see a uh, better instinct out of Johnson for sure and possibly even Van Smith if he's been able to improve a little bit uh, on that from last year. Hey, Johnson's playing for a paycheck. This isn't just him happy to be here because he's a senior. The, the guy's got some talent. Sounds good. I mean, I think across the board, like last year's defense maybe left, you know, they didn't have all that many weaknesses, but I think we touched on hopefully the depth of this year's team 
we'll be able to plug those up. Um, well, and what the defense was able to overcome, the 2015 defense, uh, because of what they lost to the 2014 draft, yeah, there were some weaknesses, but they did a damn good job. Definitely overachieved almost anyone's expectations. Well, not only did the new incoming starters overachieve a little bit, but they masked the lack of depth that was you know, the, the, the second team behind them. So it was incredibly lucky as far as injuries are concerned, but it was equally as amazing the fact that they were able to step up and play so well. So my area of weakness, let's flip it to the offensive side of the ball. There's a couple, and we are being so nitpicky. We really are. <laughs> Uh, because one of those would be, in my opinion, run blocking. We, I think we took a step forward. That was a big part of it, having Jay Garamo supplant Ryan Norton, getting us a really quality center, physical, and then having Tyrone Crowder step in as that full-time guy. And Eric McLean was solid. He, he's even referred to himself as a finesse guy, so he was never a mauler, but a, a, you know, a veteran, savvy guy. I think our run blocking could have improved last year. I'm not going to necessarily cite the Alabama game because no one could run block against them. But I, I do think across the whole schedule, I think with Crowder another year, looking at a, a better weight for him at like 330, um, Matt or not? I'm sorry, not Maverick Morris, uh, Taylor Hearn at left guard, who will be filling the place of Eric McLean. Eric McLean. He's got this, a nasty side. Nasty side. I think he. I don't know his weight. I think he's six like five, three twenty-seven. Three. Yeah, big, big dude. Mean and very competitive. Gets in fights with some of the defensive tackles from time to time. This guy is not Eric McLean. Not to take anything away from McLean. And great interview. Uh, great, great on the mic, by the way, Eric McLean. And a good Twitter follow. Oh, is he? Follow Eric McLean on Twitter. Uh, so anyway, so T- Taylor Hearn, I think is. I want to say uh, at least an upgrade in the in the running game. Uh, as compared to Eric McLean. And then Tyron Crowder, another year in the system. Man, uh, Wayne Gallman's going to enjoy running it's, in this it, offense. It's funny to think that Scott Norton started last year at center. You know, we, we had huge questions coming off of Isaiah Battle. Like, is Mitch Hyatt going to be able to step in? I think, I, you know, when we want to compare last year's team to this year. <laughs> is Mitch Hyatt going to be able to step in? Absolutely, he did, right? So the, one of the biggest question marks we had a year ago was offensive line. Can they keep Deshaun Watson on his feet? Emphatic yes, right? So, yeah, boy, did they. Um, as a group, I don't necessarily know that. Like, I, I think you, you nailed it. Like, run blocking might have been if you had a nit to pick a nit, it would have been that one. Um, but I clearly don't think that that's going to be an issue this year, right? Well, the better that we can run between the tackles, the more balanced we're ultimately going to be on offense. And I think this is the one area where the offense, and I agree with you, Cody. I think this is the one area of the offense that could stand to improve and really makes this. Uh, offense tick uh, and click on all levels Um, and it's really the only way the offense can get better over what they did last year I agree with you on Hearn I think that's an upgrade from uh, McLean the thing with Crowder is as long as he doesn't have to battle any little nitpicky injuries and he doesn't let his weight get out of control we're going to be fine there if that does become an issue and Maverick Morris does have to step in Maverick Morris is going to need to improve on that part of his game over what he was capable of last year. Not not a bad in, in you know previous years. Maverick Morris, we'd look at him as probably one of the best guys on our offensive line. Now he's a backup. Does need to improve in run blocking. Solid in pass protection or pass blocking. So I, I, I will say that yeah, you're right. If he were to go down, uh, not not the greatest number two option. But it's, to have that guy as the number two guy on our two deep, it's pretty pretty good. Pretty good times at Clemson. Well, there, and there's two pieces of the component of your running game too, right? And. The more obvious one is the running back. So 
I almost view last year one of last year's offensive weaknesses as were we getting all that much production behind Wayne Gallman from our running backs last year? And I I think of, of the guys we have coming back this year, Adam Choice. Um, you've got a couple more guys, with additional you know reps coming into this year, and C.J. Fuller, Tyshawn Die, Tyshawn Die, and Feaster's gonna get. So I think the running backs will take a step forward this year, and can they create? You know, certainly it's a it's it depends how well you know the guys in front are blocking for them, but they can make a lot out of a little. Well, and the, with uh, the example of Gallman, like just keeping his pad level low, which he has been accused of being high, guilty of being high with his pad level, you know, a few times. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really going to help when you're running between the tackles. Yeah, and you're already six feet. Yeah, he he can definitely get that pad level down. Uh, Another, we're going kind of uh, position by position, but another really serious weakness that only like a football nerd would pick up on, but it was tight end blocking. And I think that uh, that same anonymous coach on SI said that Jordan Leggett doesn't block anyone. <laughs> That's not going to get any better. <laughs> and, well, apparently he has come in with a lot more focus than we would expect him well, to. And he did senior. that last year too, and that was because the first two years he had the moniker Lazy Leggett. Well, I'm not even going to say Leggett's going to surprise you guys with blocking because I don't think he will. I think he's going <laughs> to surprise you with improved uh, receiving, which is just fine by me. Garrett Williams has put on 15 pounds. That guy is a... And he was a monster of a blocker last year. He was the guy in the national championship game. He saw the goal line package, uh, power eye. He was the, the lead blocker, and he's back. He's bigger. I think eventually he'll develop into more of receiving, um, you know, kind of multifaceted tight end. But right now, just as a blocker to have him in, in, in oh. situational type plays huge huge asset to our offense our goal line offense uh short play offense you look at red zone efficiency this is that's a huge plus that no one's going to really talk much about he's typecast by dcs right now as a blocking tight end will that enable some passing lanes for him to peel off and you know if he's in the middle unexposed if he can catch the ball and i'm i'm again i'm less worried about this year that position group i'm more concerned when jordan leggett leaves yeah we'll still have garrett williams in there but if he, he he's not like he's not a pass a catch first uh, tight end so not is that where like is, capable though he's he's a good, good but player. is a, a guy like Milan Richard able to step in and have that effect in the passing while also improving his run blocking ability because it's not just Jordan Leggett from the tight end group that hasn't been blocking all that great well to keep keep it focused on this this year's team 2016 I think maybe if you want to call tight end blocking I mean what's your verdict Cody is that going to get better this year from Jordan Jordan Leggett. Uh, maybe marginally uh, all around though in certain plays again going to like a goal line situation man maybe even putting big decks in there I don't know we're, we're gonna we're gonna get in the end zone I don't I don't worry about kicking field goals as much this year because a lot of that has to do with Garrett Williams as a blocker at tight end and we're having to reach really really far here to, to find something on offense <laughs> to pick out as a weakness to be honest with yeah. you because I mean but and Leggett knows part of him ultimately being getting paid like a you know top five pick five, top five round pick is showing scouts on film that he can be a blocker he's fully aware of that I I don't think he came back to school thinking well I've got to be a better receiving tight end I think he came back to school saying I've got to be a more well-rounded tight end and I think that was a very smart decision by him and that that speaks to his maturity level and the development there. I mean, we've seen it throughout his career here at Clemson. Lazy Leggett with all the wisdom. Yeah, and, and it was self-acknowledged. Like, he acknowledged that. Um, but he's gotten better and better every single year. He was a monster for us last year as far as receiving goes. And you don't, you haven't heard a lot about him uh, so far out of practice this year, and that's actually a good thing. Well, Ben, you mentioned earlier talking about we have to dig pretty deeply to find – 
weaknesses of the offense last year. And I mean, you're right. In general, this offense was what the by S and P plus. We were the number six offense in the country last year. And we start, and that's starting off slow with Deshaun Watson being a little rusty, and then losing Mike Williams, one of the best wide receivers in the country, on the first drive of the season. Yep, I think one of the areas though that unmistakably Clemson managed to overachieve was we actually turned the ball over you know, a considerable amount last year. And this was not only on the inter- interceptions of Desha- Deshaun Watson. There were fumble issues. I think we all remember the Syracuse game where that, that came back to bite us. But I, I feel like if this year's team has the same turnover issues, we may not dodge the bullet twice. And that could lead to an unexpected loss. I think the quality of our competition, yes, if that happens in games like Louisville or Florida State, that's definitely a factor, even in the ACC championship game. We've got a really weak schedule this year, especially with South Carolina falling off in recent years. There's, I think we're able, and that was part of the reason probably why we were able to overcome turnover, uh, the, the deficit in turnovers last year is because of that. But I agree, you can only get so lucky. This is the same thing with the injuries, escaping injury, and the, mm-hmm. and the depth issues. You can only get so lucky, and this, we should definitely improve on that. I think it's best to properly consider and, and maybe tying this into red zone efficiency, how much it hurt losing Mike Williams. And... And, and another part, Ben, you said the the slow, like Deshaun Watson getting up to speed. A lot of interceptions. I, I'm not saying, I'm not going to be so naive as to say, oh, he'll be perfect as soon as this year starts and he'll only throw, you know, two interceptions all year. There'll be some interception. He likes to he likes to air it out. Well, there always are. But, but and going back to the National Championship game, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, he was throwing to Ray Ray McLeod, 5'10", Hunter Renfro, 5'10", Arteva Scott, 5'11". And he just couldn't find these guys. Like it, it was, he had to make perfect pa- passes, and which he did, and we he, scored forty points. Like, he did a few insane. times. He missed a few as well. Sure, but just in general, and like Sharon Peak, he didn't quite develop as fast as we wanted him to until like that guy that goes after those high points, of the ball, those fifty-fifty balls. Having having Dion came back, hopefully out of the completely out of the doghouse. Having Mike Williams back as that red zone. A, a, you know, threat, throw it his direction, he will win that 50-50 ball. That's going to take away at least four of those interceptions, that alone. And I think, again, Deshaun Watson, good help. I, I think you'll see a lot more precision. And I don't think fumbles are going to be an issue. You know, Gallman's not going to put the ball on the ground a lot. We'll see. I mean, obviously the backup running backs are going to get uh, a lot more touches this year. But even from the veteran wide receiving core, you know, Ray McLeod has his second year in the program. Same thing with Deion Kane. So, I would expect from putting the ball on the ground, we would see a lot less of that too. Um, and Deshaun Watson, I expect that he is going to be better uh, with the interception numbers, that they are going to go down. An area that we maybe won't touch on overall is special teams' weaknesses. Everyone knows it's the most obvious thing you know, for Clemson to focus on. Um, obviously, kick coverage and you know, kickoff return yards, those sort of things. But... One area, and we also don't need to dwell on this because it's PATs, but I also think having Greg Hugel one year you know, more experienced, apparently he's been focusing on PATs and long-distance long field goals. Um, he's a, what, a Groza Award um, finalist, whatever, yeah, you, watch you list. Pre- yeah, watch list, but you can take those things with a grain of salt this early in the season. It's like half the country's kickers get put on that list 
Um, all right, just to really make the conversation very short about Hugel, he essentially needs to get better at consistency with field goals from about the 40 to 48 range, maybe 42 to 48 range. I don't think we're ever going to expect him to be like a cat man and have a solid kind of 48 to 52. We should be going for it or we're going to be punting the ball like we did last year. So that's what he needs to improve on, that and putting the ball out of the back of the end zone on kickoffs. Going back, um, I think you know, we mentioned this kind of going into this segment about how the lack of depth on the defensive side of the ball had a trickle-down effect. Uh, that directly relates to kick coverage, both uh, kickoffs and punts, because you can't play starters that you would like to have out there on those teams as much because they're playing so many snaps at their respective positions. Uh, the story out this week mentioning how Clemson was going to try to get pretty much every one of their starters on offensive defense to play on one special team. Now, obviously, Deshaun Watson is going to be exempt from that. But this is something that Ohio State Hand does. Team. This is something – well, he could. Uh, this is something Ohio State does. Um, they require that you don't get on the field or get any touches unless you play uh, special teams. So, again, more depth is needed to lessen the workload for these certain starters. But once you – get guys that are invested out there and guys are not just your third and fourth string uh, linebackers, you're going to see a marked improvement in that area. We did hire a consultant. We put in some money and we said, let's look at our film. I think it was a former coach or a current coach, we don't know, looked at and said, here's what's the issue. And I think a lot of the conclusions they came to is what you said, Ben. The right personnel is not out there. Well, it's another good opportunity. It's not just the veteran starters. It's another good opportunity to get a lot of the true freshmen on the field that you know are going to play this year and you're not going to redshirt. And they're hungry. A Skalski, if if they decide that he's going to see some playing time this year. Uh, Lamar and Shaq Smith, get those linebackers out there. Get them into the game. They're not worried about their NFL uh, potential right now. Exactly, but get them mentally into the game if they're not getting a lot of snaps at the beginning of the season. So it's, it's not just the starters. It's these talented freshmen that we have coming in. Get us Isaiah Simmons out there. He started to fall off and probably expecting less out of him as far as playing time is concerned at the safety position, at least early on in the season. Get him out there on special teams. Teach him how to, to maintain a gap and, and use that big body and presence that he has to disrupt you know, kick returns. We're hearing Gallman is uh, going to be put in low-risk situations blocking on punt returns. You know, His pass uh, blocking ability as a running back is going to directly relate to that. So it, it's good to have these guys out there, these veterans. Safe to say the depth that we've been talking about all episode and the, the things that Davos talked about, having more quality depth, it really is kind of manifesting itself on special teams. Um, we have enough time for one more, Tully? Yeah. So you mentioned play calling, conservative play calling. Can that get better? What, what would make it better? I think what, and I do agree that one of last year's offensive weak, weak spots was how aggressively Tony Elliott, ultimately, who's our signal caller, you know, continued to keep his foot on the gas. The Notre Dame game, really in the second half, is probably what comes to everyone's mind there. Uh, but also, you know, the type of decisions it took in games like against Wake Forest, Syracuse, South Carolina. Um, in order for that to get better, I think it it all comes down to confidence and an understanding of, you know, do you go just with the bread and butter packages and you know matchups that you're targeting, and how much are you willing to open the playbook? And having a Mike Williams in there, or you know. We had guys miss games throughout the year for suspensions and for other reasons. I think we're not really going to chalk those up as happening again this year. Like, knock on wood, it doesn't. 
I think also last year was Tony Elliott's first season as a signal caller. I can't fault him for going with what he knows. We ultimately won those games. That's great. But I, I think another year up in the booth for him is going to be really important. And he's played on the, he's done that job on the highest stage now against you know Nick Saban's and Kirby Smart's defense. You learn from that, right? And that's amazing to go in there and do that in your first year and carve up a, a an Alabama defense like they did. And listen, yeah. a lot of that. Thank has, you, Deshaun Watson. A lot of that has to do with Deshaun Watson, but you know we they did see them struggle to, yeah. a little bit at the beginning of the year. Uh, I, I think probably the biggest thing for him this year is how creative is, are they going to be able to get uh, with getting essentially we're too deep at every wide receiver position. Uh, not to mention it's a very talented freshman coming in. How do you do, mean how do we spread the number the two or are we too deep? We, of course we too deep. Um, but I, I really do think it is the creativity that's going to take to get all these guys enough touches because it's one thing to, to throw the ball to Mike Williams. Artavis Scott's going to need his touches. You know, he's probably going to lead the team in receptions again this year. Hunter Renfro, you know, is a huge weapon that I still think is going to be uh, kind of uh, – undervalued at least by opposing teams uh underestimated uh, and then you got uh mcleod and kane back there and trevion thompson who's going to do good things this year getting the ball spread around to all those guys it's going to take some creativity you're going to see the second team out there on certain drives but it's going to be interesting to watch i think part and, of what you're you're less worried about usage which i think they'll be okay in getting the ball they did an amazing job last year getting the ball distributed out but more so tight situa- tight games, games like that Notre Dame game, when we should keep our foot on the on the gas instead of kind of playing not to lose. And I I, agree. I think Tony Elliott for one, love love the guy. I listen to him in interviews. Super intelligent. I, I feel 100% comfortable with him as our offensive coordinator. I like him over Chad Morris in terms of play calling. I I like I like to err on the side of being a little conservative. Um, I think he like you said has experience going against Alabama. Orange Bowl, I, I think it's going to be a better year. And I, again, not to keep dwelling on this, but I think having these larger target receivers means so much. And in this fear and anxiety of if I throw this out route to Rary McLeod, will it get intercepted? And will that be the momentum swinger in the game against a Notre Dame or something like that? That that would you know kind of you know, go into his thought process. No, no longer though. So I think. I think um, Chad Morris would have done amazing things with Deshaun Watson. I have a lot more confidence in uh, Elliott in working with Brian Schusler if it did have to come to them for one reason or the other. And we saw that play itself out with how he used, how Morris used Cole Stout. I have much more confidence in Elliott being able to play to their abilities better than Morris did to Stout's. Right, he was the mad scientist, but a little. I mean, we don't talk about Chad Morris too much, but he did a little bit of ego, wanted to do it his way, and then there's also playing within the. Tony system. Elliott does not have that. Absolutely not. Yeah, and he he's like. Well, you see that in him being totally fine with the co OC title that he shares with Jeff Scott. Uh, I think that big pay raise, you know. I well, he's, let's he's not undersell like Jeff Scott's role in this team. He's a huge, you know, part in recruiting and development of wide receivers. Yeah, I don't, no one's doing sure. that. I think we're I think we're happy with both of the guys in place, and you know, not to take it, not to digress too far away. But I think in the case that the doomsday scenario, Dabo were to leave, I think Tony Elliott could potentially be the heir, heir apparent. Love the guy. I think he stands for everything That's that we'd want. I'm yeah. convinced now more so than ever that Dabo's never going to leave. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, man. One last thing on weakness, and then I want to put a put a bow on this segment. Um, 
something that I, I think has to get better is actually Deshaun Watson's decision making in tight spots coming down at the goal line. We saw this a couple, maybe even three times during the year where in, he should have thrown a ball away or we burned it down you know, at the end of a quarter and we had to kick a field goal instead of having an extra try for the end zone. Um, I wish I had the specific examples for this, but I think we all remember these plays. Um, that's something I think it's just nerves playing out. And I, can I say this is going to get better? I'm not sure. I think those are the type of decision-making things that NFL scouts look for, you know, when they're when they're looking to calibrate where he would fit in. I think he's played enough big, big moments, played in enough big moments, and show that he can handle the load there. Uh, that this will get better. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, he's been in the spotlight, and this is quite a tall order to end a segment uh, picking apart Deshaun Watson's game. <laughs> but. But no, 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 no. I, I I agree with you, and I think again we we forget of how young he is. Last year was his first full season playing college football, and this is his first full off season. I think it's yeah, a big thing. exactly, and that just goes to show how talented the guy is. And yeah, I well, think, he can work think, on those aspects of his game. Yeah, well, he's working on his footwork, you know, um, and that's a big part of the quarterback position in the scheme that uh, we, we we have at Clemson. So. Yeah, I expect you're going to see him get better. Of course he's going to get better. From year to year, I mean, he's not... When you're that talented of a person um, and you have uh, as many accolades and and proven success that he does, you get better from year to year. Like, there's no ceiling. You keep pushing. I agree. His larger frame, Mike Williams uh, getting back into the rotation, I just can't see it. And and Jordan Leggett, I think being a better player, an, an improved player, will all those things, Garrett Williams blocking... Just I will say I don't think Deshaun Watson ever really gets nerves. I think he's like even kill all the time. Well, and some of that end of quarter stuff that actually may go down to coaching too. Like, do they have a design set play for when there's 12 seconds on the clock and we we've, we've got one shot at the end zone? You know, leave us three to four seconds for Greg Hugel, but get the ball in the end zone. Like, I think it seems like they didn't have that dialed up. Yeah, because they didn't have Mike Williams. Yeah, and it. That goes to show our red zone efficiency numbers, et cetera. It's so. really hard to pick apart this offense. We're going to be so great this year. It's it's not even funny. A few things, though. It's the it, the difference between being a, a great offense and a team that can crumble against a great opponent is the attention to detail. And we saw that in the national championship game. Not a whole lot of great opponents on our schedule, but we hope to face a few more than FSU. So, if you don't have those things, those little things, like you said, totally end of game situations, if you don't have that stuff so tight, it, it'll get away from you and it'll matter. Putting the game away, it, the offense needs to help out the defense. They need to keep the, the, the foot on the throat and put the game away against our lesser opponents this year just so we can spell the defense, get the younger guys in there, and just you know be done with the game by the end of the third quarter. Don't let these Syracuse, Wake Forest, South Carolina games string out. Yep. Put the game away. That's the biggest thing for the offense. So, guys, let me wrap this up. I'm going to refer to the S&P Plus rankings last year. For those unfamiliar, Bill Connolly, he puts these out on Football Outsiders. He also writes for SB Nation. Um, basically advanced stats for football. Clemson last year, our offensive ranking was sixth. Our defensive ranking was fourth, despite the weaknesses we refer to here. Based on the improvements we've talked about in depth in getting players back that were effectively all Americans in first-round draft picks, do we think this team can overachieve a sixth in the country offensive ranking and a fourth in the country defense? Cody. 
I would be disappointed if we are not the number one offense in the country. It's hard to maybe, be. It's maybe hard the to be the. It's hard to be the number one offense in the country because some of these lesser schools in the. Uh, it was Baylor no, last year. Non power five because we don't play in the Big Twelve. Well, or they yeah, don't have or Pac twelve. Exactly. Or they play with eight defenders. That's right. I forgot about that. So, uh, but I get your point. If we if we're yes. not the number one, and, you know, numbers aside, I know that this is all S and P is all numbers. But numbers aside, if we are not the number one offense in the country, I w- I'll be surprised. Defense, uh, I just can't see it. I, I, not, not as many tackles for loss, not as many sacks, not the same pass rush. Maybe more of a bend, don't break. If we have less well, and big plays and know, bust, I will be happy. Nobody, nobody thought it would happen last year. Statistically ranked defense, you know, to be number four as we were last year. Um, we talked earlier, like we think the defense will be better top to bottom, and that might be enough to help us win games, win a game like an Alabama game that we did not last year with the number four team in the country. So I think the depth factor can help you in other areas than the stat sheet. And I think by the time the end of the season comes, you're going to see a lot more of the younger guys playing early and getting more experience. We're going to get through the season. You're going to have bowl practice, and that is huge for the development of these true freshmen. And by the time we get into the postseason, whether that be you know, hopefully not just a bowl game but the actual playoff, we're going to be in much better standing this year as far as defensive depth is concerned than we were last year. Sounds good. So ultimately, you know, I think we ended as the number two team in the country. Hopefully you add those two up and we're at least right there in the playoff and then throw all the stats out the window. It's who who puts the best performance on. Um, And we've been there before. So I think that's where, you know, the experience factor can come in. We probably won't see the same four teams. I don't think Michigan State will be there. Maybe you'll see a couple of new faces, and you know, Clemson can match up in a way that we've got the upper hand of experience. I think so. I think I. We talked about the Kansas City Royals coming back and winning the World Series. No one will like this one. Duke going down to the the national champion in 1990, coming back in basketball '91, beating UNLV. You see it all the time. These guys that get a taste of it, they return the core of their, their roster, of their lineup, and they win a championship with that big chip on their shoulder. I, 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 could, I really see that happening. We'll come up with a season preview soon enough, and uh, you can hear us glow some more. Sounds good. Well, that's about all the time we have. Um, I think you know we'll be back with some of our position group previews and our season preview material. One last thought. Um, I hope everyone's paying attention to Clemson players in the NFL. Uh, preseason camp and some of the preseason games have started. And across the board, we're hearing a lot of the, the rookies really have great performances. B.J. Goodson led the Giants in tackles. Mack finally got his interception. Cody, you're on the hook for shots for that one. That doesn't count. He's on the Clemson uniform. How do you know he doesn't have one underneath? You're buying shots. He's- anyway, uh, <laughs> good stuff there. Pay attention, guys, um, and stay tuned for more from the podcast. For now, go Tigers.